This episode of the CZ Media Podcast is brought to you by Rancho Bravo Tacos. They have two convenient locations, Capitol Hill and Wallingford. I love going to Capitol Hill. I'll go order my food, whether it be tacos, burritos, or tamal. I love their tamales. They're fantastic. And then I'll go sit on the patio, enjoy my meal, and then wait for something interesting to happen. And given that it's Capitol Hill, something interesting always happens. If you don't have time to go to either location, you can always order through your favorite food ordering app, Uber Eats, Caviar, or Chow Now. They make it really easy to get all of your favorite items. So next time you're craving some delicious Mexican food, stop in or order. You'll be glad you did. And welcome back to the CZ Media Podcast, episode 75. I've done 75 of these. It doesn't seem like that many, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a lot. Uh, before we begin, everyone, a reminder to follow on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Spotify. I recently had to go in and change a bunch of my settings because I made a new website for the show. So updating the RSS feeds on stuff. So I think I lost a bunch of followers. Oh, no. But uh, well, it's okay. Well, we're, we're starting again. So go and uh, give us a follow. Give us a like. Subscribe. Go back and listen to some of the older shows. Uh, we have some pretty good ones. We have uh, Mike Baudet from Sword and Scale. He's always in the news somehow. Uh, and also, don't forget to support the show sponsors, Rancho Bravo Tacos, Capitol Hill, and Wallingford. Even though it's fall, you can still have margaritas and tacos. Uh, and also, Soulmates, Seattle's premier sneaker shop, Jordan's Yeezy's Off-White, uh, Supreme Clothing Bape, if you are a hype beast. Are you a hype beast? I'm not a hype beast. <laughs> I'm not even sure what a hype beast is. <laughs> Do you spend twenty five hundred bucks on a pair of sneakers? I do not. Okay, uh, or or just watch with anticipation what Kanye is going to be wearing. I have to admit that's not me. No. Okay. Well, if you are, head them up fourteen twenty two Harvard Ave and Capitol Hill in Seattle. They're above the QFC. Uh, the, they'll be happy to help you out. All right. So I have a special guest today. Um, guest number two from the newly revamped website, the new show. We got some new art coming, so I will let my guest introduce himself, so I make sure that uh, you guys know exactly who he is. 
Oh, is that how we're doing this? All right. Uh, my name's Kelly Young. I am a podcaster, uh, host of Strange Eons Radio. I'm a publisher. I published uh, Strange Eons Magazine for 10 years, and I have moved that into publishing books now. So we're just releasing our first book by Philip Ficasi called Commodore. Is that a, a, um, like a, a graphic novel? No, the magazine was kind of a, uh, a mishmash of weird tales and heavy metal. Okay. This book that we're putting out now is a novella, so it's mm. all strict, straight fiction, but it does have uh, some illustrations in it because that's just the way we like doing things. How it goes. Okay, so you're... I see screenwriter on your, on your bio, so you're all in on the creative. Yes. Nice. The, so I want to talk a little bit about the screenwriting and then a little bit about all of the other things that you do. But I will start off by saying that we formally met because I think I'm pretty sure I've seen you before at the Crypticon yes. convention. So the audience knows that my wife and I, Lori, are super into horror. We go to Crypticon every year for the last. When Crypticon was also with ZombieCon. So that's what, like seven years? Oh boy, or more. Yeah. So the la I think the the first year that we went, we went to both. But then ZombieCon is gone. The, at least not in, in, in at least in Seattle. Yeah, I don't think it's around at all. Yeah. So they did. So we've been going since then. We started off by just going. I think the first year we just went one day, but then ever since then, it's it's our little staycation. Well, and, and it was, you know, iffy on whether this was going to happen yeah. this year. You know, it didn't happen last year, and this year it was looking pretty iffy, but they've just announced, and I'm sure you saw this, that it is happening again next year. Right, right. In May, like it's no, supposed to. Yep. No, we're excited. We're excited. It's, uh, I take time off of work. I tell my <laughs> clients, do not email me for the next three days. I'm going to be nerding out. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be looking at people's art booths for about 20 times deciding what to get i'm going to be watching film shorts sitting hours in a very air-conditioned room yes this is what i love that that it's so cold <laughs> my wife needs to bring a a sweater if she's going to stay for for longer than 15 20 minutes my co-host on uh, strange Ian's radio runs the film blocks at right. crypticon and he said he walked in there the first day and he was like, you guys have to turn the heat down in here. We got everybody wearing masks. There's no way they're going to sit here for longer than five minutes. <laughs> so they started pumping in the cold air. You can oh, so it's on purpose. That. That's good. Okay, that is awesome. That is, I didn't even think about that. So I would dress up the first few years. I would put makeup on. I took Robert, his last name, Buchetta. Oh, right. I know who you're talking about. So, yeah. So he's a local Seattle makeup artist. I took his class to do to do full on horror makeup and I would do it, but man, it's just too hot. Yeah. I just couldn't do it. And then by the time, you know, the the day stuff was over and it was time to get hammered at the one dollar drink <laughs> rooms. On the thirteenth floor. On the thirteenth floor. It, I was just a mess. A complete mess. So I was like, okay, I'm not gonna dress up anymore. But now it's just a horror tee and then some some shoes. This year I did um a Jason shirt, and then I have a pair of Freddy Krueger Nike Air Max shoes. Okay. I'll show them to you. They, they're they green and red, and they have little drops of blood painted on them. <laughs> of course. 
and uh, I showed them to oh, what oh, what's his name the the guest who was there this year from part three. Oh, uh, Tony Tony. Shoot, I don't. Oh, remember I forget, his name. forget his name. But I showed them to him, and I said, "I think you would appreciate these." And then he asked me. He said, "How much did you pay for these?" I said, "I don't know. I think I paid like four fifty. <laughs> and then he's like, "I will never own this shoe in my whole entire life." <laughs> he said, "You are crazy." I'm like, "This isn't even that bad because there's another Freddy Krueger shoe that uh, Nike sued the person who made it because it was a." They, they sort of, they just took a regular Jordan shoe, but then remade it into something else and then tried to sell it under the new company name. Okay. And those go for like 15000 What? I have to admit, I'm uh, I'm a little shocked. I had no idea there was a horror shoe thing. Going oh, there's on. a bunch. Yeah. And I'll, here we go. This is my production value here. <laughs> and then uh, the audience does know that um, I like to have drinks with my guests, so uh, no need to uh, to say, "Hey, we're are, are we drinking too much?" Because we're not. <laughs> <laughs> I need to show this to you. So there's a there's a website called Sia Collective, and they're doing a they did a Freddy versus Jason Jason themed shoe, <laughs> and it's on pre order. And I found out about this yesterday, and as soon as I found out about it, I had to order it. So it's this one, Freddie and Jason. That is hilarious. So it's it's one of these companies that just takes a shoe, takes it apart, makes, finds their own materials, cuts out the outline of it, and then stitches it back together with their own. I assume because those are very much Freddie and Jason and they're using Freddie versus Jason that they have to then somehow license it. So that's got to be part of the cost, right? That's what makes these shoes so valuable because they don't. Oh. <laughs> and they only react when they have to. I see. It's when they have to. There's, I mean, that it's just happened so many times. There's another designer named Warren Lotus who did a who made a Jason shoe and it's super cool. And he may, but the problem is, is that like these, what I just showed you there um, from Sia collective, that's not a production shoe. Like they're not intending to sell thousands of units. It's a low run. So okay. I don't think Nike really takes that as a threat. Right. But there's this other guy. Um, what did I say? His name was Warren Lotus. Uh, where there was this other designer that was intending on making a high qual quantity shoe, and it it was super cool because it's red, and it has the it has the Jason mask, and nice Nike sued him. Nike sued him, and those shoes now, if you happen to have gotten it, they're worth upwards of eight ten thousand wow. because he made them he shipped a bunch of them out nike sued them they stopped production and then they tried to recall them to have uh -huh. people send them back but people were like i'm not gonna yeah. send you back my shoe and it's this guy right here and that this is probably not a real one 
That's why it doesn't. It, there's a fifteen hundred dollar price tag on it because <laughs> they're all upwards of of a lot more than that. But it's pretty cool. But this is basically uh, I put this together in my living room shoe. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, but no, there's there's a there's a bunch. There's a bunch. Well, anyway, so I this is where my sneaker. I'm a sneaker. Uh, my office is boxing horror and um signatures for some reason i like collecting autographs uh but i had to i took my stuff down cuz cuz we're moving um but for like what so this is what this is my thing like this is what i really really like if if we go to your office what are we going to see okay well so i'm basically a child and I've spent uh, my adult <laughs> life trying to recapture the toys that I destroyed in my youth. There you go. And I'm, I'm pretty close to that. So you're going to see a bunch of the old Shogun Warrior toys from the 70s and uh, Micronauts and stuff like that. The place is kind of a 70s toy museum. Is that like original anime stuff? Yeah, I guess it would probably be original anime stuff. Over here, it wasn't called that, and I don't even know if they had those cartoons over here back then. This would have been 1974 or 5. I'm thinking like Voltron, stuff like that. Yeah, that was in the 80s, so this was pre-Voltron. Before that? Okay, yeah, I was going to say it was, Voltron It was or that Mega idea, giant, giant mecha robots. Okay. And so I've got uh, four or five of those. Uh, I've told the girlfriend if I die... Um, you know, the stuff in the office is the only thing that has any real value. <laughs> She's like, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think that was, would have produced an enthusiastic She was just like, reply. you know what, I'm just going to bring it to goodwill. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> That's tough. <laughs> That's tough. I sympathize because my sh- sneaker collection... I think that my wife would do the exact, like, she would say, you know, here's this shoe. I'll sell it to you for 50 bucks, and I'm the moron who paid 2000 for it. <laughs> There's a lot of these little skits on TikTok and Instagram now where girl ex-girlfriends go to sneaker shops to sell their ex-boyfriend's shoes. Uh-huh. The guys at the sneaker shop are like, this shoe's not worth very much, and it's a super high-value shoe. <laughs> So that's that's my wife knows that they're valuable just because I tell her how much I pay for them. Right. Wow. But other than that, like she wouldn't she wouldn't know what to do. Uh, so the do you, were these toys inspiration for for writing or for creating? Do you use that to to fuel your creative endeavors? No, not at all. Um, I think though that it was probably part of my formative years and that, you know, when we were kids, we didn't have video games and stuff like that, or I didn't, you know, I'm in my fifties now. Uh, and so you were given, you know, a couple of toys and told to get out of the house and don't come back till the <laughs> streetlights come on. So me and my buddies would have these things and we'd go through all sorts of crazy adventures. And I probably, yeah, I guess I'd say I probably took that with me and, and started you know, when I started writing stuff like that, but it was never about that kind of stuff. I was, uh, I was definitely a horror kid. Yeah. So all of my stories were, uh, very creepy 
got my mom a couple of calls from the teacher, you know, when, when we had a writing assignment. And then it's like, why is this person impaled on a your son plate? wrote a story about four campers and none of them lived at the end. And <laughs> my mom was like, eh, but did he have a good inciting incident? That's what I really want to <laughs> know. That's right. Do you keep any of these? Are these any in the the archives? I've got I've got a couple of the stuff. Yeah, my mom was pretty good about keeping stuff. That's like cool. That. Yeah, that is super cool to have. Uh, I've I, I well I'm not a I I say this often to my wife and I think she's sick of me of hearing me say it, but I'm I can't write, but I wish I could. I just don't have that in me. I can talk. I can I can tell you that I went to the store to buy toilet paper and then turn it into a 20 minute story <laughs> about how I got accosted by <laughs> a customer yelling at the person who worked there and I had to push them up. like I can I I can go into but then if you ask me to sit down I'll write two sentences we need a toilet paper uh, I went and got toilet paper that's what I would do what that's so weird to me I I wish that I could just find a way to turn it on. Like, what did you do to turn that on to be able to sit down and put pen to paper? I'm not sure. As I'm oh. passing you the William Church. Thank you. I'm not sure when that started or why I decided that's what I wanted to do. My mom did some writing when, when she was oh, younger. Okay. And she was really good. She was a horror mom. So, you know, we had Stephen King in the house and all that. And she was really good about kind of just letting me do whatever I wanted to do as far as reading. Uh, yeah. Because I, I guess she kind of thought I'll either grow into what I'm reading or I'll get tired of it sure. and, and not understand it. And, you know, so I think knowing the way that I felt, how I felt when I was reading a scary story was something that I was trying to do to my friends who were not reading scary stories. Uh. So I would write my own stories to give to them and then getting the reaction I got, which was, you know, I always would have these stories with a, with a cliffhanger and, and you know, my eight year old friends, when's the next episode coming out? Nice. And I was like, boy, I can't wait to do this. <laughs> so that was probably what, what drove me. So that me. was your audience. Your, your, you, you developed that uh, appreciation for engaging the audience as a little kid. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, I mean, th that's that's a really interesting perspective too. That from a little kid, you you realize that you had a talent, a gift that people liked. Nah, you're reading too much into it. I don't think I thought I had talent or a gift, but I did like the attention it gave me. Right. Well, so you know, you knew that there was something that you had that other people were receptive to and and that encouraged you and motivated you to keep on to keep on doing it yeah plus plus having parents who were just very encouraging on anything creative yeah. i wanted to do uh that I, through my entire life in my 30s i was a singer for a sinatra group <laughs> and my dad came and watched a couple of the shows and he pulls me aside one time. I'm in my 30s. You tell me what other father does this. He says, uh, I think you should quit your job and move to Reno. Oh. And, and do that. I was like. That's a great this, dad. This is a pretty supportive father. Yeah, he was like, yeah. quit your well-paying job and move. <laughs> you know, pursue your musical. Did you take his advice? I did not. <laughs>
I kind of wish that I had. He, he told me I can sing. I can sing pretty well. He told me early on that uh, I should learn how to play piano. And I was like, God, I'm, I'm 30 years old. It's too old to learn how to play piano now. And, and now if I had, I'd be playing piano for 20 years. Right. And I just, I never did. Hey, that's what all of these uh, motivational guys say. There's never a late, there's, it's never too late to start. Well, I'm sure they've been saying that for 100 years. Sure. <laughs> but, you know, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk says it, so it's brand new. It's a brand new concept. <laughs> yeah, so, so my folks were very supportive. And uh, when, I would, when I would write the stories, my mom bought me my first typewriter. And she would then sometimes help me, like, design a book cover. You know, we'd fold the paper in oh, half look and at all that. that. She was like, let's make this look like a book and stuff like that. So she was, she was really cool. That is, that is, super, oh, that is super cool. I mean, talking about parents, like you have the, I, I, just right now thinking, there's three types of par- parents. I'm, I'm surely there's more. There's those parents who can identify talent and potential in their kid and encourage it. Then you have my parents. Oh, no. <laughs> who, no, no, my parents were wonderful. But the, the difference, though, is that they just had low education, ah. um, didn't speak English, didn't write English. Uh, you know, trouble communicating, couldn't communicate with teachers very well. They always had to have a translator there. So they just didn't, they didn't know that there were opportunities other than going to work, other than going to a factory job, right? Because my dad had worked, my dad worked in a, in a cardboard factory for 45 years. To them, the world was, this big, you no know, small. Yeah. And they just didn't they didn't really have that concept of okay, if, if this kid, I mean, what they would have identified with me was that I can take something and then sell it for more money. Um the the best example that I have is my parent my mom would take me to the dollar store. I would buy five of these little push cars that you put a penny in the back and they did a little wheelie. Yes, I remember. I would take, she would buy me a few and then I would sell them for five bucks a piece to my friends. <laughs> so when my mom kept on, I kept on asking my mom to buy me these toys and then she would say, what are you doing with them? And I said, I'm selling them. And then when I showed her my pocket full of cash, she got mad at me. <laughs> she felt that I was stealing from, from my friends. And then she was mostly probably worried that my friend's moms would say, sure. So she made me stop. She wouldn't do that anymore. So there's there's those types of parents. Then there's the parents that are just, I mean, of course I'm going on spectrums here that just you know are completely checked out. But it like the perfect in your experience growing up to have those parents that identified and encouraged. Like to me, um, the what I really appreciate though is that my fa- my parents, even though they. You know, they weren't ed- very educated, and um, but they still provided a set core of values. Like my dad taught me to love work and to work your way up, even though he didn't work his way up. But he would say, you got to make the boss happy. And in his own, you know, in, the, in that very simple way, that's sort of how the game goes in uh, in um, in work life where. If you want to have more opportunity, you do have to show worth, which will make your next person up happy. And so, so there were a lot of there were a lot of values taught into that. 
Um, so I do, I do really appreciate that. But sometimes I just think, man, if they had, like, were if they had the tools, the 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 skill set to identify that, like, man, I would, it would be me and Jeff Bezos. <laughs> well, you've you've clearly done all right for yourself anyway. Somehow you were able to pull yourself out of the muck. I, I would say it's my wife. Oh. <laughs> my wife. Uh, we've been together twenty years. And, uh, but yeah, before her, I was, it was pretty funny though. It's pretty hilarious. I was a little punk kid. So it's the, it's the wife that, uh, that polished, I guess you could say. Um, she's the one who made me go back to school and get a degree. And like, that's another reason why I wish I uh, had a better, command of writing because college would have been so much easier and i know that college <laughs> is supposed to teach you how to write you know i've listened to these guys uh i've listened to these guys who say that college isn't the best if you are really looking to learn like and not like a doctor or a lawyer but just go through school sure but what it will do and what it is really good at doing it it is helping you learn how to think and write critically and uh, that's what the, that's what I think I got, but not till the end. And the writing part just still like right now I'm trying to write a business plan for something that I want to do, and my brain just won't let me. <laughs> but I can talk about what I want to do for a really long time. I can tell you exactly who my core demo is and how I'm going to target them and how what I'm going to be doing is uh, is uh, I differentiate myself from like I. But man, just putting that on paper is super tough. <laughs> what was the first thing that you wrote where it's like, man, this is good? Oh, that never happens with me. Never? No. Everything I write, uh, I'm always like, Ugh, God, awful. Um, so then what? But then you still put it out there. Well, there have been a couple of things that I feel are, are really strong pieces, uh, screenplays that haven't been picked up. So what do I know? But but I do feel like, you know, I, uh, I'm a graduate of the film school here in Seattle, but I didn't go to that until after we had made our first feature film. Oh, and then that's interesting. Yeah. And then that's kind of where I learned to really write much better. Mm hmm. So there have been a couple of things, you know, just in the last couple of years that I wrote that I was really, really pleased with, but nobody else seemed interested in them. So what, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> Keep on writing. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Like how many do you, how many, um, how many do you have? How many drafts of, of, uh, pieces of, wow, just escaping me. I probably I've probably written a dozen screenplays, screenplays. Uh, one of which was sold and never turned into a film, one of which uh, my partner in the podcast, Eric Morgret, he mm. and I made that movie, a feature film. Tell us about that. Uh, that was about 2004, I think. We, we had been making short films, and we had gotten a couple awards, and we, uh, we got an investor interested, and we... we Spent $27,000 and made a feature film based on H.P. Lovecraft's story, The Thing on the Doorstep. Okay. I think that he and I would both, uh, you know, and not, not saying anything bad about 
anybody, but neither of us was very happy with the finished product. Mm. And uh, but we did take it down to the American film market. We sold it. Uh, it's out there. But it's one of those things that when people are like, oh, I want to see your movie, I will try to steer them as far away from Is it, it on possible. Amazon? Uh, I'm not even going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a moment that I thought I might change my writing name and just start fresh. <laughs> it, it couldn't. If you can if if. If you were able to get support and investors to do it, it couldn't have. You may be being too hard on yourself. Well, maybe. And, you know, I've shown it to people who have been like, eh, you know, eh, it is what it is. And then they're like, how much did you spend on it? And we're like, $27,000. And they're like, wow, this is fantastic for $27,000. <laughs> Which I don't know how to take that. Well, <laughs> but I mean, you, there's no choice. You have to take that saying, heck yeah, it is. Well, and the. The difference being that you can literally, you know, buy a really nice camera to shoot a movie on for about five grand right now. Where right. you could not do that back then. We right. had to rent everything, and we didn't. We we just didn't have anything available to us. So, you know, and it was pretty ambitious. There were a ton of locations. It was all stuff that a very young filmmaker would try to do yeah now i write these amazing uh, amazing set pieces that take place in one location and right. i'm just begging somebody to give me twenty seven thousand dollars again because <laughs> because what we could do on twenty seven thousand dollars now is is much different than what oh, we could back then yeah yeah i mean now right i mean some of the videos that i make they look like someone who knows what they're doing made them <laughs> <laughs> There's lower th- four thirds graphics in there. <laughs> There's speed ramps. It's like this person has a good computer, is what people say. You have a good computer. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. They don't do that to writers though. It's like if you take a good picture, people will say, "Oh, you have a great camera." Like if you were a writer and you write something, like man, that typewriter of yours is pretty fantastic. Yeah, they don't do that. But there have been. There have been uh, writers that I've been like, you know, this is not writing. This is typing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, man, I should probably show you. I did write a short. And I went as far as to cast it and then have the two people that I wanted to be in it come and read. But then they moved uh, they moved in it, it. I haven't been able to find the right one. It's not a horror one. It's actually, it's actually depressing. Oh, perfect. It's. Uh, can you talk about your? Should a should someone who wrote, who wrote a screenplay talk about what they wrote, even though no one else has seen it? I'm not sure I understand the question. Like, there's no like s- secretive stuff. That, like, if you want to wow. share it, you can share it, I guess. I, I feel like... Do you talk about any of the stuff that is in production? Uh, that's the stuff that I generally don't talk about. But I'll talk about ideas and stuff like that. Uh, you know, at the beginning, you're very precious with your ideas. Yeah, and then exactly. as you get older, you realize that everybody has had the idea that you've had. Right. <laughs> and and if there's somebody out there who can actually get this idea out into the world faster than I can, then you, kudos. Yeah, much better. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, isn't there? Uh, I've I've seen a I've subscribed to a bunch of filmmaking YouTube channels, and I've heard this on multiple occasions where there's really only 
seven stories, right? Is that like six or seven six stories? Six or seven stories. Yeah, I've heard this as well. That are that are that you that that humanity has told, and then uh, they give tons of examples. I'm like, yeah, that's that's pretty dead on. Yeah, like it's all like like a woman is a cause for a lot of craziness. <laughs> well, as a horror fan, <laughs> I mean, you must realize that there's not a lot of difference in the movies you love. No, there isn't. There isn't. But, you know, it's even though that, that there is still that one thing that gets you, that captures you, and it's like, I like this, and then stuff that just, that just, uh, turns you off and you just don't dig it even though it's it's very similar uh so for me it's you know freddie of course he's the that's the first movie i saw and i saw it on tape ah um i saw uh, it it was on hbo or something and uh, my cousin recorded it and that's how i saw it my parents did not let me go to the movies okay ever and it's pretty sad that the very first movie that i saw in a theater was Mortal Kombat, like in 1996. <laughs> wow, that classic <laughs> Mortal Kombat. You know what? I'm a sucker. <laughs> it holds up. <laughs> I went back and I saw it again not too long ago. It for it's it's way better than the remake that's on HBO Max right now. I'll I'll give you that. It I, the the new one on HBO Max I did not like at all. It was horrible casting. It was I don't I didn't I I didn't like anything about it. But that first one, the second one, and the third ones were dumb. But the first one was good. You were you were all in on Christopher Lambert That's as right. Raiden. That's Raiden. Right. <laughs> you thought that casting was spot on. Well, I didn't know about uh, Highlander, <laughs> so I didn't have a point of reference. And then, funny enough, the second movie that I saw in the theater was uh, that movie with Madonna and William Dafoe. I, I can't you don't even, remember that one? What, what's even that place one this. called? It was one of, like the notable scene was, they were in a in a parking lot, and William Defoe was parked under a light. Madonna gets on top of the car, breaks the light, and the glass lands on the hood of the car, and then she turns him around, lays him down on it, and they bang. <laughs> this sounds like something I would love. I love movies that that have these kind of scenes in them, but I, I don't think poor, I've ever even heard of this. It's a poor man's basic instinct. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a really poor man's basic instinct. Uh, right. So I just, so I had Freddie and he spoke and he made me laugh and it was the, but he also scared the crap out of me. Sure. And then I was a little kid and, you know, my cousins, like my five cousins would huddle up and then we would have these long conversations about, like, what would you do? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I would run to church. <laughs> well, talking about movies that hold up, that first Nightmare on Elm Street is scary still. Yeah. I mean, the Tina, I mean, yeah. Tina being dragged, the, 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 the girl with pigtails and the Freddy sweater saying no running in the right, hallway. Right. Johnny it, Depp and the the geyser of blood out of the bed and all it, of that stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm sure you've gone through the six hours where they talk about all of the movies. Uh, never sleep again. Yeah, I think is never sleep yeah. again. I've done that once or twice, and they also the the Crystal Lake. There's one for for Friday also where they go through all of them. But when I when I watch those those types of documentaries, I am really captivated more about the business side of it. 
like hearing them speak about how they're finding funding and sure. and then towards the end where Freddie was basically keeping New Line alive and New Line was New Line New Artist or Artist United? No. Uh I can't remember what they started with, but yeah, I do remember that that was even when I was down in LA they were calling New Line the house that Freddie built. Right. And it's like, wow, it's like these movies are so good. And you're just like, you, there's nothing else good coming out of this studio. And, and let's face it, the movies weren't that good. I mean, no. that first one was pretty good. And the third one was pretty good. But that was a lot of trash. But it was making them money. <laughs> you skipped over number two. I, I, I actually <laughs> like two. And I like uh, the new Nightmare one. But none of them really captured what that first one was. Did you, uh, was the... The uh, the gay theme really obvious to you for number two? Um, I'm trying to think. Let's see. That was the first one that I saw in the theaters was yeah. number two. I just remember being disappointed because I felt like they had thrown out all the rules. Yeah. But I don't know. How old was I? 15 when that came out, maybe? I I don't know that I would have yeah, been I able didn't, to tell. I didn't. It was like, what are these people talking about? Yeah. It wasn't until I saw the, n- not the documentary about M- Mark Patton. Is that his name? Right. It was not it, like the, he made, there was a documentary about him. Scream Queen. Yeah. Like wanting the screenwriter to apologize to him. Right. <laughs> I did it, the, it, it, it like there, but there was this other one before that where it's like, wow, I did that just really super went over my head. I mean, as an adult, watching it as an adult, I was like, oh, I think I see what's going on here. <laughs> but as a, you know, as a teenager, Jesus, you know, I was barely aware of my own sexuality, much less anyone yeah. else's back then. So, <laughs> yeah, it's just weird. It was weird. But the when when he popped out of his body, when Freddie popped out, I, that's when I sort of checked out. Yeah. I was like, Freddie's crashing this pool party. Like, that's not cool. It, it and then makes how? no sense. <laughs> and then how? <laughs> um, so, so yeah, we're on the same boat when it comes to that. Then f- Jason, man, my Kane Hodder and Derek Mears, I took them down. Another, some signatures that I got from, from Crypticon. Yeah, this place is full of, full of. Sign stuff are all the signatures that you chase horror. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, other than boxing. Oh, okay. And then I have a uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, nice. <clears throat> but other than you, that, yeah, they're they're mostly all. Well, actually, I'm lying. No, I'm super lying. I. <laughs> so boxing that glove that you see right there that has a bunch of world champions on it. Um, that glove in the corner is my favorite Mexican fighter. Then I have Mike Tyson and Triple G down there. Wow. And then I've got this Triple G signed um, boxing trunk with this picture. Uh, Then Andre Ward, he's one of my favorite ones, too. He was a gold medalist, undefeated, super underrated. Um, He signed that one. And then I have a T-shirt of his. But for horror, I have Derek Mears. um, Not Kane Hodder. I said Kane Hodder, didn't I? Uh, yeah. the other guy who plays um, Michael Myers in the new one. Oh, in the new ones? The In the Rob Zombie ones. Uh, oh. Maine, Taylor Maine. 
Tyler Mayne. Tyler Mayne. Him, Tom Savini. One of the best things from Crypticon was meeting Sig. Yeah. Uh, my wife, my wife and I both have our pictures with him, so I have his signature too. Uh, on a poster of House of a Thousand Corpses. Now, um, was that like the very first Crypticon, or was that at a subsequent? Was that the one where he was um, running for president? No. Okay. No, I don't think so. I think this one was. I don't remember the year, but him and Bill Mosley were there because he, all, Bill Mosley, also signed my House of a Thousand Corpses. Nice. So that's that's a super cool one that I have. Uh, I'll love it forever. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I follow his wife on Instagram, and some of the things that she posts are a little sad. Oh. But uh, I I went back and started watching a lot of his old stuff with, uh, like his his old seventies movies with uh, Pam uh, Pam Greer. Oh right, right, yeah. <laughs> Man, he played the perfect seventies bad guy too. <laughs> He had had that look. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. Um, Tell me a little bit more about your, uh, well, since we're talking about Crypticon, what's the day one Crypticon guide? Were you also a ZombieCon guy? I was not a ZombieCon guy, but I was a day one Crypticon guy because Eric Morgret, my co-host on Strange Hands Radio, was part of the uh, board of Crypticon. So that very first one, they brought him in. And then he brought me in. I was doing a magazine called Planet Lovecraft back then. Mm. And uh, he said, here's a great opportunity. Uh, how would you like to be involved in this? And I, I said, absolutely. And then I was brought in on the board. Oh, okay. So I was on the board for Crypticon for, I think, three or four years. And then just things started happening. There was just too much stuff going on in my life. Right. I had transitioned Planet Lovecraft to Strange Eons magazine. So that was taking off. Um, there was a little heat behind a couple of screenplays and, uh, you know, just something had to go. And, and Crypticon. Crypticon was it. But for a long time there, I did the in the early days, I was the one who laid out and created the programs Oh, okay. And I brought in artists and authors to do uh, stories exclusive to the programs and things like that. So those early programs, I know there are a couple of guys who have uh, who have everybody's autograph on them, and they're nice. they're worth some money. I bet. Yeah. That that's super. <clears throat> that well, that seems really. I wish I could. Well, actually, I want to be that. <laughs> <laughs> is what I want to say. <laughs> it's like how are you how do you get involved with this? I mean, you have to be uh, you have to be notable. I bet. Well, no, for for bet, me, it was would... just right place at the right time. Yeah, uh, the, it seems like that is a whole ton of work to 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 put on to deal, and it's yeah, it just seems like a whole lot of work. And they should probably get way more thanks. Like there should be a tribute to or a thank you in some ways to the people that put that on. Yeah, let me let me pull the curtain aside a little bit and expose some of the things that people might not realize. Because a lot of the time what Crypticon gets is, you know, how come you don't have Bruce Campbell here? Or right. how come you don't have, you know, this other horror star that I really love that, you know. So these guys come with what's called a guarantee. Mm. Bruce Campbell back then, I think, had a 
$10,000 guarantee. And what that basically says is while he's sitting at his table, he will be able to sell $10,000 worth of autographs. And if he doesn't, then Crypticon will give him, you know, whatever he didn't make. The balance. Yes. And so there's that kind of thing. And, and Crypticon is a lightly attended convention. It's, you know, I think at a, at the most, it was probably 2,500 people mm. this year, of course, much, much less. Right. Um, so so they knew that there just wasn't, if everybody bought an sure. autograph from Bruce Campbell, he wouldn't make his guarantee. Right. It was one of those kind of things. So there's that that goes on, and then there's these other things like, well, why is this person here? What tie do they have to the horror scene? And what we're dealing with are agents who have... Uh, the person you do want to see there, a Bill Mosley or a Kane Hodder or a Barbara Crampton or something like that. But they also have a bunch of other lesser-known celebrities, and they are basically presented as a package. Okay. So that's the way that some of this stuff is done. And I think if I think if a lot of people knew that that's the way things were done, they'd be a little more forgiving about guests. No, I don't think they things. would. You don't think so? No. <laughs> No. <laughs> People are something else. Yeah, well, you might be right. Oh, I have yeah. an optimistic view of humanity. No, no I, I'm... <laughs> they call lots of things. I don't think I've ever been called optimistic. <laughs> no, I've... It's There's... There's... Uh, I don't see how someone could not see it that way. Like we are not L.A. or New York. Right. I mean, we're not a, a a huge center for pretty much anything. Sure. So it's super hard to attract these names, and if you do, it's like you're gonna pay. Yeah. It's like it's like the uh, one. I wish we were. I mean, I'm a big fan of a lot of comedians, and they don't come here. Like they have West Coast tours, yeah. and they just the fur they go to Portland, which is weird to me that a lot of them do go to Portland, but they don't come here. And I think that a lot of it too is that, man, we just have a bad rap for being a bunch of crybabies. We're it's, in the music scene. There used to be something called the Seattle audience, which was, you know, the Seattle crowd, which was not a good thing because rock, rock bands would come here. They'd play their asses off. And then at the end there'd be, you know, there'd be, 10,000 people at the show yeah. and you know, a thousand of them would clap <laughs> right? because Seattle is just kind of a shitty audience for that kind of stuff. For some reason, the Seattle freeze, that is a thing as well. Yeah, it is a thing. See, I'm from Chicago. I'm from Chicago. I grew up just outside of Chicago and uh, my wife is a Seattleite. She's here forever. And the times I've embarrassed her <laughs> where I've started random conversations in line about the weirdest of things, it's happened lots and lots and lots and lots of times. Whereas, like she, like she's just leave me alone. Like right. I'm, I'm just, she just wants to be in her own world and not have anyone come up to her or ask her questions. Whereas I, I sort of welcome it, <clears throat> but it's, uh, um, it's tough because back home in Chicago, I mean, I had a big circle of friends. You know, work friends where we would go out and have fun. And I, I've had my core circle of friends right now is two and a half people. Oh, no. 
that I, that I can say I'm gonna call you and then come, or I can just go. Yeah. Like not not a let's plan something. It's a like a now thing. Okay, sure. Um, because it's 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 really hard to penetrate into groups. Not penetrate into groups, but it's really hard to insert yourself into a group. Even worse. And <laughs> <laughs> glide into groups. Oh, no. <laughs> you know what? I don't even anyway, want to slide as in. As you're thrusting yourself That's into this group, <laughs> tell me what else is going on. You just get, you know what? They squeeze, they don't let you in. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Like, not today. I won't be telling my mom <laughs> to listen to this episode. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, it's true though. It's true. And then, then I just say, you know what? I didn't want it. I didn't want none anyway. That's right. <laughs> I'm going home. That's right. I mean, this whole thing has felt very rapey, but now I'm out. <laughs> and I'm the victim. <laughs> I assume all of this will be edited. This is going to be a four-minute episode. <laughs> oh, that's this is super PG. It's, uh, you know, I don't swear in my normal life, but I will tell the dirtiest of jokes with zero hesitation. I will make the most inappropriate comments. <laughs> and I mean, a lot of people have gotten mad at me for saying a lot of crazy things, but I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I, I have to censor myself 90% of the time. Okay. It's really weird, which is why I feel that I need to go to a writing psychologist to break through so that I can actually sit and write. Because I think I could come up with some pretty funny stuff. You know, it's funny you say that. Um, after I had sold the script, uh, I had people asking about other things. And so... I was being basically commissioned to to write, and oh, here comes the wine. Thank you. And and that's when everything shut down for me. Oh, and I was like, oh no, you know, I never had writer's block before, and, and here it was. Uh, so I actually went to a therapist, and she gave me some really amazing ideas. Well, uh, condense one of them. She uh, at one point she said, hey can you sit down and can you write for an hour a day? And I was like, no, that is the problem. An hour a day might as well be 10 hours a day. And she said, can you write for 30 minutes a day? And I was like, I, I really don't think I can. She said, can you write for 10 minutes a day? Mm-hmm. And I said, if I can't write for 10 minutes a day, I probably shouldn't call myself a writer. Right. So that first day I wrote 10 minutes. And as soon as that alarm went off, I ended it. And the next day, I wrote for 10 minutes and then I was in the middle of something when the alarm went off and I was like, that's fine. So I wrote for about 40 minutes. And then after that, I was just off and running again. Right. So I think that setting yourself a really small goal on something that you do love doing, because I love writing. Yeah. It, it just allowed me to get back into the groove again. That is so, I mean, she was using a very common sales technique. Sure. Which is get your customer to say yes to something. Right. Right. It's just get them to say yes to something and then you can build it. That's so funny. Okay. Side note here. I I was a sales guy for over 10 years selling barcode labeling systems. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, Strangely enough, there's kind of a lot of pressure in the barcoding (laughs) labeling industry. (laughs) 
I mean, it's a, <laughs> yeah, it's a cliche for a reason. <laughs> it's, uh, everybody knows how cutthroat the barcode labeling I mean, it's, system. It's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. Uh, but, but yeah, cause there was, there was only three major players in, in, uh, developers that made barcode labeling applications and we were one of the top two. Okay. So every high, every high dollar deal that I was in, I was always up against that same competitor. Okay. Always up against the same one. So it was always trying to figure out, like, man, like I want this, you know, I want this super big deal because I got an awfully nice commission. <clears throat> uh, so one of my fir- one of my bosses who everyone hated, <laughs> he was an old time IBM sales guy from back in the sixties and the, in, in the sales world, people who have original IBM sales training are like robots because their head, their, their sales training was very, very regimented. Sure. Okay. So that's how he tried to teach us. But man, it was like, we were in meetings and we would say, this guy does not know what the heck he is talking about. But then, you know, a month later, a situation would come up where we would use one of his techniques. It's like, son of a... <laughs> so then now being outside of sales and not... Well, I'm sort of still in sales, but just having, um, you know, the, the type of interactions that I have now, I still use those techniques all the time. And every now and then I'll call my old buddy and I'll say, man, I just used another one of Russ's rules to success. <laughs> <laughs> Um, see, I even forgot what I was saying. Well, that, when you, when that, you the, put it that way, then, um, yes, my therapist talked me into, she sold me on writing again. Right. It's by so. getting you to agree and then fight. And then it's, right. with, then it's just mental of saying, okay, that's, yes. it's, it's, it's what it is. So, you know, okay, I should do that. And then were you writing the same thing or did you, tr- did like one day you just wrote a short story and then the next day another short story or continued on? No, I was working on a screenplay. And oh, okay. so, you know, and, I do all of the things that every writer does when it comes to writing something. So I will spend way too much time making notes and doing research, anything to get me away from actually writing. writing. (laughs) (laughs) I will research the shit out of things. And so this was just one of those things where I had the entire story plotted out, but it was time to sit down and write. And I I just, do you use the cork board and, strings and characters <laughs> names and no no i'm not hunting a serial killer no. or anything like that <laughs> but i do use uh there are a couple of notebooks that i really like uh or workbooks that screenwriters use that collect things and so i i use stuff like that yeah mm, so not too okay sometimes what do you think about the okay i'm gonna say something douchey here <laughs> and i'm switching topics a little bit to the uh to the movie shorts. The reason I don't like most of the short films in the short film festivals is that they're too long. Okay. What's your question? <laughs> the question is, um, I agree. Do you, way. do you think what? Well, yeah, that, that was the question I was going to, I should have just said, uh, I should have just said, what do you think about the, you know, abrupt, abrupt topic change? To what do you think about the movie, the film shorts? Because <clears throat> I love watching them. Even though I just said that a lot of them are too long, I love watch. Uh, uh, there's this YouTube channel called Amaletto that that's all they do is show shorts. 
not a horror, not just horror, but all just all different types of of, uh, of film shorts. You know, Lori and I will sit down and we'll make a whole evening. That's our date night is to watch 10 of these short movies, short, short films. Um, would do, do you do you consume a lot of that content of movie shorts? I, I sure I used to say shorts. I should just say short films. Uh, shorts. Uh, I, I used to not as much anymore, but I agree with you. And and the people who program the film festivals, they agree with you, too. The shorter, the better. Right. So if you can get something in there that's under 10 minutes long, that's what's going to get picked for the film festival because they know that somebody watching a film is going to look on the program. They're going to see the length of it. And if it's 27 minutes long and they're not you know, hooked by the fourth or fifth minute, they're going to be like, well, I'll go get some popcorn or maybe I'll go yeah. get a meal or I'm something. I'm not going to miss anything. Right. So... I think the rule is, you know, under 10 minutes is is absolutely the best. And Eric and I made a film called The Package, and I think it might be a minute and a half. We've never gotten so many awards <laughs> from any film we've done. It, is that this, out there? Can we see that? Oh, yeah. it's. Uh, in fact, if you go to, I think, YouTube, we probably have a Strange Eons radio page, and it's got a couple of short films we did. Like the longest is eleven minutes long, and that's the one that has been shown the least amount of times. <laughs> Ten minutes is a long time. It is. It it except when you're talking, then it's a super short. Right. But when you're when you're trying to make something, it is it's it's a long time. We're also living in a world where if you're looking for entertainment and you don't like what you're seeing, it's not like there's not a million other that's opportunities right. out there there's just there's something out there that right. will catch your eye much quicker yeah see the overall i don't like that i don't like the fact that people need to be hooked within the first because so what i'm comparing it to is tiktok and instagram sure so it's 60 seconds <laughs> <laughs> and you're like i'm out five seconds out. In. i mean but i when so you know when i get my insomnia and it's three o'clock in the morning and i'm just in the instagram reels dark hole it's a video and if the voice annoys me <laughs> it's like i'm out and then it's like literally two seconds in it's like i do not care you could be telling me how to live my best life ever but nope out 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 and then the Dumbest thing keeps <laughs> my attention. <laughs> yeah, but but consider also that the people who are doing these things, they're getting smarter and smarter, and you're seeing like a lot of the same music is being used because they realize, oh, this is something that people like. It's this song. I don't have to, I don't have to go too far to find something that might hook somebody. Well, yeah, but they're getting smarter because the lowest common denominator is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But it has always been. I know. Been. <laughs> That's like, that just so frustrating <laughs> to me. I get it. As I got, so some of my clients, they want me to make these videos for them. And I'm like, this is just such brain dead thing sure. to do. It is so brain dead. Why do you want me to do this? But uh, as a creative, I'm, I'm right there with you, but as a consumer, I'm right there with them. I find myself, you know, checking out very quickly if I don't like something and I'm I'm not willing to give something the benefit of the doubt. I just watched uh, Malignant. Did you okay. check that one out? I did. So I I checked out after about 10 minutes because the acting was awful. And then we talked about it on the podcast and Eric and Vanessa were telling me, you know, how 
how much more awful it was than I thought it was. And I said, I got to watch this again now because this sounds ridiculous. I ended up loving it by the end. Did it, you? It was so over the top ridiculous that I, I had a great time with it. And I think the problem with that film was uh, they they weren't willing to hook me in 10 minutes. Or an hour and 40 minutes. Look, it is very <laughs> divisive. I, and I will not say that it's a great movie by any means. I think it's a it's a pretty trashy it's movie. It's like even the fact that she has dark hair and the sister is a blonde. It's, and it's, I mean, it's super. The thing is, it's super obvious what's going on with it, except they didn't tip their hand to what was really going on with it early enough, yeah. I think. If they had shown you what was going on earlier... I, there's this thing that I honestly believe a great third act will save a lot of really shitty oh, yeah. movies. Like Titanic is a shitty movie <laughs> until the third act. And then all of a sudden you're on a sinking ship and somebody's chasing after you, shooting at you and all this stuff. And you walk out of that theater going, holy shit, that was great. And that was only three hours long. Yeah, But it wasn't great. It was only the last 30 minutes that were great. And you forget that. I guess I, I forgot that at the end of Malignant. I was like, I, you know what? I'm all in now. Watching uh, Leo draw Rose as one of his French girls That's made right. that three hours. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought Leonardo DiCaprio would become one of our, you know, best actors of our oh, generation? I knew it. <laughs> you did. Uh, oh yeah. First time I saw him on Growing Pains, I'm like, wow. this dude, this Boy, kid. You have you have vision. Oh yeah. It was like he had. He's good looking. Could I? I th- he could act. He has. He he can act really well. I believe. Um, watch and, out! There's a B in case you're. No, you and Quentin Tarantino were the uh, the only two that believed in him. Ooh, now it's on you. <laughs> it's fine. You're all right. Okay. I'm good. I don't have an EpiPen available. I'm not allergic. Okay. <laughs> you know I'm you like, mentioned. I'm like Candyman. <laughs> I just barely saw Candyman, the original one, not that long ago. It was pretty good. I didn't feel like it held up for me after I had seen it when it came out. I was a big Clyde Barker fan. Yeah. So. Well, it's in Chicago. So. Oh, right, right. So have you seen the new one? I have not seen the new okay, one. Okay. But like those uh, projects that they were in, yeah. I went to those. Okay. Like the Cabrini Green and the Robert Towns. Like when I was up to no nonsense, like there's, there's scary places. So, you know, I would not it is completely within the realm of possibility that there was some voodoo Satan worship in some of those buildings. Cause they were downright scary. Now you have to see it because <laughs> they shot there again. Did only they? it's all gentrified now. Yeah. No, they tore those buildings down. Yeah. So the United center is there now. So it's interesting <laughs> that they did all that. That's another film that really, uh, polarized audiences. Yeah. Well, then we should talk about this then Jordan Peele. Okay. But I give him a big thumbs down. Oh, no. Um, on everything or just... You so, didn't like Get Out? I did not. Oh, I loved I Get Out. I was bored out of my head. Wow. I did, I, it was the Stepford Wives. Absolutely. And but I love that kind of shit, so... I... Uh, if... Yeah, if anyone other than Jordan Peele had made that movie, it would have been nothing. It was because it was Jordan Peele that it was so that it was so 
renowned or why it was accepted so well. Let's dig in. This is where the podcast really starts. You guys are going to have to wade through an hour of stuff to get into the next hour. We're going extra long on this episode. So are you saying... By the way, you're in control of timing here. (laughs) So are you saying that uh, this is a film that has been so highly regarded for politically correct reasons? Yeah, right. But you didn't think that it was a... You didn't think that it was a competently made movie? Well, yeah, but I didn't think the story... I mean, it was an episode of The Twilight Zone. Which is ironic because his Twilight Zone episodes were awful. Were they? (laughs) I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, that show was shit when it came back. Man, I got excited when I saw the commercials for it. But then, never not excited enough to actually watch it. But I think it's on Amazon or something, so I yeah, might I, go back. Do not no save okay. yourself. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, I thought Get Out was quite honestly brilliant. I really loved the story, the message, the acting, the humor, everything about it. Uh, I did not feel that way about Us. I liked Us. Okay, see, so I I so thought the I wasn't crazy with the ending in Us. But every like the eighty five percent of that movie, I thought was really good. Okay, I liked it, even though. But but wouldn't you say that's the same kind of politics that he's playing on right there? So why are you okay with one? Because and not the other? by the time Us came out, the the newness of Jordan Peele wasn't so in your face. I think that he he leveled off a tiny little bit, other than but as opposed to coming up to um to the first one carlos tell me this are you are you a reactive viewer do you uh do you hear a lot of love for a movie and go into it going it can't be that good yeah okay yeah no i am i'll admit it yes i am for example lost everyone raved how good lost was but the only episode I saw on TV was the very last one. And for a month before that, Lori and I binge watched all of the seasons. Oh, wow. And then horribly disappointed in the ending. The same thing with The Sopranos, though. The Sopranos were super, super hot. I'm like, I'm not going to watch it until the last. I think I only saw the last two or three episodes live on, right. on, on, on HBO. But before that, I was I would walk to our uh, blockbuster, and then rent the seasons. But but you liked you liked what you were watching when you were renting it. Yeah, but I could watch Get Out again and still not like it. Sure. Okay. But us us was per, us was, but I mean but when us for us that first shot of the living room and the chud. VHS tape right there. (laughs) Like that, like that's like right there. Like that got me right there. Like that was he, like he was then, this movie was for fans. Whereas I don't think Get Out was for fans. I, man, I think that's really interesting that you say that. And I don't think you're alone. I think a lot of people really loved us. For whatever reason, it didn't connect with me. And get out really did. So I guess I guess that's just, you know, there's there's something out there for everyone. Look, right. The movie that Eric and I made that we both hate, there's people out there who really love it. Mm-hmm. I'm now, curious if I'm gonna be able to get you to say the name. I have I have thoughts about those people who really love it. 
Oh. <laughs> I would say that maybe not the sharpest pencil in the box. <laughs> oh, no. Or, or at least not, um, not discerning viewers. <laughs> the most critical of thinkers. <laughs> I wonder what else they love. <laughs> But that can go like that can go like are they gonna love uh I mean so what I'm thinking is the people that like it are also going to like Citizen Kane, the Godfather. Well you don't like those? No, I love those. Oh I no, was gonna not say the, uh, okay. The, I don't the think that that's gotcha. what's going on. <laughs> no, I don't I gonna... think that the people who love our movie are are big cinephiles. Oh, okay. Well see I wanna know now. I'll tell you off the air. <laughs> okay, I want to watch it too. I'll rent it if it's on Amazon. I'll pay. I, you know what? I feel like we've got a good thing going here, Carlos. <laughs> you and I are becoming friends. I'd hate to ruin it by having you see my movie. <laughs> watch my short films. I'll do the. I'll do. I'll watch it all. I want to. Here's the thing. Like I want to help make these. Is what I really, really want. Like I have, I have the equipment of a filmmaker. I have lights and cameras and microphones and my buddy is a sound engineer but i have nothing to make well uh, well tell me this uh in what capacity do you want to help i mean you sound kind of like a director right now you're looking for a story you want somebody else to write it clearly so i saw <laughs> i heard an interview with the guy who made lights out okay uh so lights out was a short yeah and they were like, here, this is super good. You need to make a movie. You need to make a full feature out of it. And he was talking about how he loved making the short, the, the short movie. He was the camera guy. He was the sound guy. He was the lighting guy. And then he talked about the challenges of making the full-length feature. And you can't do any of that. Yeah. He's like, he wanted to go and adjust the lights. It's like, nope. Union yeah, rules. Union. You, you you can't do that. He wanted to do he wanted to do this, do this. It's like, nope, you can't do that. And he felt that he was super disconnected from the story he was telling. But I think if I were to finally get motivated enough to make it, I would do it all myself. I would shoot it myself, do audio. I would I would sacrifice a little bit of the quality of like audio, for example. I would use my cheap wireless lav mics. <laughs> you, that's the one thing you never want to sacrifice well, it the quality good. of the film. I mean, it'll sound good. It just won't sound per. It'll sound as good as this podcast. My lav mics are still pretty good. Okay, but like I would sacrifice a little bit about that. Like no, uh, like there wouldn't be tons of effects to it. But I would do it all myself. I would shoot it, edit it. I would color it. For some reason, so I'm super into color, coloring. Okay. So I can spend hours color grading, and it's like, is what's the temperature of this? Do I want to do this? Do I want it to be a little colder? Do I want it to be a little warmer? Do I want more contrast, less contrast? Like, I love all that stuff. Um, I would just do it all myself. Because even when I have worked with my buddy who's a sound engineer, it was a struggle. <laughs> I don't like I don't like people telling me what to do. Not a team player. Oh, I'm actually I'm not. I'm a horrible employee. I'm not a good one. Uh, I just want to be sort of left alone and do my own thing. Uh, look, I'm a writer looking for somebody to make movies. I'll write you a short. You make the movie. 
That would be cool. Let's do it. That I, I that would be super cool. Write it like a play so it's all set. Oh, I had okay. I'll tell you about one idea that I had. All right. So He's pitching this live, listeners. I am. I'm this pitching is happening it. right and, now. Uh, history is being made. I actually wrote it. I I wrote it. Uh, so it's. See, do we have time still? You tell me. I've got time. I don't even know. You give me one of these when. I, I have no idea what time it is or how long we've been talking. We I know might that have we're, to. Uh, well, I drink a lot of wine. Yeah, so. well, I mean, if you can open another bottle, we can go another hour. Okay, we can do that. I'm okay <laughs> with that. I'm okay with that. So this is the, I am going to pitch to you my idea, what, what I what I wrote. But I don't think that I would show it to you because I'm not this, It's I'll probably say it better than what I wrote it. But okay. it opens with one of those blurry scenes when it looks like someone's opening their eyes and it's the first thing in the morning and it's blurry and they're wiping their eyes. And then... Uh, they get up, they look at their phone, and there's a text message saying, I'm excited for tonight. And then she replies, and it says, I'm excited for tonight, too. And then she gets up, starts to get ready for her day, goes to class, sends another message saying, are we going to do or, 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 uh, something along the lines of building anticipation for tonight? But every five, every, no, this is a short, so like every 90 seconds, there's a flash of an argument. And then she re- then after the flash of the argument, she replies and says, I'm sorry about last night. I didn't mean it. But that's all you see. And then she goes about her day. She goes to class, her work. And she goes to the gym. Another message saying, <clears throat> uh, we can work through this. We love each other. And then another flash of an argument, but this time a little bit more intense. So it's building. And then she comes home and the table is all laid out. There's a nice dinner. Uh, there's a, there's a, it's, the table's all laid out. And then it's her girlfriend dead in a chair because she had killed her the night before. Who's answering these texts? No one, because you don't see her replying. Oh. You just see her writing. You have to edit all of this out because this is actually a pretty strong idea, and you don't want to lay it out like that. Okay. So you just so there you go. Advice from a real screenwriter. That concept idea. How would you write off the top of your head? Well, first of all, I'll say this: you are a storyteller, so you you laid that out, and I saw it in my mind. And then when you gave me the punchline, I was like, "Oh, that's good." (laughs) So. I think that's definitely something that could be shot well, and uh, it's short. It's It'll short. Get put into film festivals, and there you go. And all of a sudden, you're a filmmaker now. Right. Let's do this. You Three locations. Know, you don't even need me. You just <laughs> you got. That. And actually, there's no dialogue. Yeah. In my brain, there was no dialogue. So it there was you go. her that's waking the- up. It was her going to class, going to the gym, and then coming home, and then boom, that's right. it. So that's that's the only time I would say you can go cheap on your sound. I think audiences will forgive bad visuals, but bad sound they will yeah. check out really quickly. Right. Right. So because the stories that I write, I mean I'm yeah, I'm putting myself as everything as the as directing camera and everything. It's like okay, I just want to do the least. Right. To, to be able to do this. And uh, 
that one I had mentioned to a friend of mine. And I had told her about it. And I said, I want you and your girlfriend to be in this because I think that that would be super funny. And she was into it. She she liked it. Uh, but that that's one. Um, I need to. If, if you're saying that that's sort of a cool idea, like that should. I like that idea. Yes. Do not edit the idea out with the conversation around it. We'll keep. But edit the idea out of this this podcast. OK, I'll, I'll do that one. I'll do that one. Uh I'll refine it. And then the other one that I did was a story about, this is the depressing one. It was a story about two brothers who lost their parents. So two brothers, I'm lying, two half brothers, but the parents of one of them had died in, start over, scene. There's a younger brother, he's a boxer, older brother who's the trainer. The older brother parents adopted the younger one. All right? So it's sort of a, a blended family. It's a, it's a blended it's a blended family. The dad was really vested in the younger his adopted son's career, so it would take him to training all the time. One day the 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 uh the dad said I can't take you today. I have to go do something. And then the the young the the younger the the son said, "Oh, like you." He got mad. He's like, "You need to take me because we're we, you know this is a we're gonna have a special guy come in for sparring or something that was really important for him to be at the gym." So the dad goes, "Okay," and then he goes to the mom. He's like, "Come with me. We'll take him, and then we'll go to whatever it is that we need to do." They drop him off on the way to wherever they need to do. They get into a car accident, and the parents die. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's the feel bad movie of the year (laughs) so then so then the brothers obviously the younger brother is pretty upset because he feels responsible for both of his adoptive parents dying you don't say (laughs) but and then he thinks that his older brother is going to be mad at him because he's the reason that his because they were actually his parents sure so they're, they're they're training and they have a big fight coming up and their parents had the parents had just died the younger the the fighters just not into it and then they there's this emotional scene that i wrote where the younger brother the the older brother says you know dad wouldn't want you to quit and like that the typical like sort of cliche dad wouldn't want you to quit now if you quit they really died for nothing you have to you have to keep going so fine the younger brother says so you mean you don't hate me because uh, because our parents are dead and the older brothers are like, no, of course not. I want to, I want to keep on what dad saw in you. So they're at the gym. They leave the gym. This vagrant comes and says, give me your bag. And then the older brother goes like, no, I'm not going to give you my bag. So there's a, there's a struggle. And then for this shot, it was going to be a drone shot from up on to an aerial shot from up on top. And they're fighting and then you just hear a gunshot. <clears throat> and then the fighting scene, because I don't have a, well, I have access to a ring, but not a whole stadium. The fight scene is going to be super close, dark, just strobe lights on the fighters as they're fighting. And then that's it. Then you hear the bell. It's over. And then the next scene is 
the funeral, not a funeral. The next scene is the younger brother holding a belt at his older brother's gravesite. <laughs> okay, read my body language. Uh, so the first, the first idea you pitched me, I was leaning in, I was nodding, and everything. I, uh, right now, listeners, I got my arms crossed. I've got a very cold look on my face, and I'm like, I, I don't know who your audience is for this last thing you just pitched me, but that is, that is really dark and depressing. It is. Well, no, well, it's not because he you, wins. Carlos? He wins at the end. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure you call it that. But Many right. fighting fans would say that's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Lost his entire family, but he's, he's got, got a got nice belt. shiny belt. <laughs> <laughs> that would be like if he... <laughs> that's who my audience is. Wow. So they 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 go they go stuff like they go something like that. Uh, I, I'm going to say green light on the first one and uh, <laughs> red light on the second one. Like, I want it to be an episode of the old ER. Did you ever, did you watch ER? Sure, who didn't? Man, towards the end there, all they wanted to do was throw the most emotional, emotionally draining weight on you. Yeah, no, nobody had a happy ending. No, it's like, it's like, oh, a school bus full of orphans and nuns crashed and half of them died. Right, right. And the other half all have cancer That's now. Right. Mm. Actually, I think there was an episode like that where like a bunch of orphans or nuns got into an accident. <laughs> well, those are the only two that I can remember, but I have some other ones that are equally as dark. I tend to go towards the dark. You're a complex I think it's man, more Carlos. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> We, uh, my wife and I, when we're watching stuff, like we just take components of things because my wife has a background in theater. Uh, she was in a bunch of stage plays and she directed a couple or co-directed a couple. And I was, uh, I was a stage manager on a few plays in uh, Burien. There's a Burien little theater, little theater company there. And I was the, I get this Christie's. The mousetrap. I was the stage manager for that, and I was the killer. Oh, excellent! And then, <laughs> and then I stage managed Neil Simon's The Window. I'm not familiar with that one. The one where it's like all in a hotel room. I don't remember. Um, but we would hang out with uh, with a, a writer, a local play writer, who got a bunch of what's his name, Dave. Dave, it's not Dave Thomas. Could it be Dave Thomas? I don't know what his last name is. It's been, it's been, a, it's been a bit. So we were just talking about these crazy, these crazy ideas, and how a lot of these components would just would work really well, you know, in a in a stage play, like especially of having, oh, what was the what was the one thing like people who have these strange. I'm trying to think of what what we were talking about. I need to remember. Like things that are reoccurring that are just in the background. Oh, and I'm totally losing it now. I should have, I should, I should ask. I have to know now. So when Lori comes <laughs> home, I'll, I'll have to ask her. But we've talked about writing something. Um, but we also, I also, I, I, I read, what do they call it? When you read a play before it actually gets 
going? Is it just called a reading? Uh, I mean, that's what I call it. Just a reading? <laughs> like, I did that. I did that, too. So I think that that little bit of a background, it's like this is, a, this is an exciting thing, the, cre- the creative part, to write stuff, to make pictures, to make, I mean, I make dopey videos right now about <laughs> tacos and sneakers. Tacos but and I sneakers. think I'm way talking too much about myself. This is a, one of my, the problems that I have. The movie-making process. So you were the screenwriter on the movie that you made. Yes. So does that mean that you were uh, Hank Moody <laughs> on the set of uh, Punch? I was. I was not. And I was... So, Eric and I, okay, let's see, how do I start this out? I moved down to Los Angeles when I graduated. Uh, that was a funny story. My, I graduated, my mom told me, uh, hey, your dad and I are moving to Hawaii. And I was like, oh, and I lived in Bellingham, Washington. I said, uh, what am I doing? And she just put her hand on my shoulder and said, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> It's time for you to figure that out. Vaya con Dios. So I, I kind of panicked, and uh, I sold my comic book collection and drove down to Los Angeles. I had a novel, and I thought, you know, well, maybe I can get some people to, to look at this or whatever. I ended up working for a uh, Playboy photographer as his assistant, which was pretty great as a 17-year-old. And... Uh, <laughs> I, he had some contacts. He, he shopped. He didn't shop the novel around, but he let a couple of people read it. And one of the people who read it was a guy named Dick Morgan who wrote for a bunch of TV shows in the 60s. And he said, uh, this novel is awful, by the way, but you write like a screenwriter. Oh. And so he gave me a couple of scripts, and it was like a light bulb went off on So does that mean you gave a lot of environmental detail and... It was that I didn't give enough detail as a novelist. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, you got a cool idea here, but your writing is very basic. Okay. And and he kind of sent me on his way, but I was like, oh, I think this is what I want to do. I was very unhappy in L.A. I lived down there for about a year and a half, and I I moved back up to Washington. And uh, shortly thereafter, I met Eric Morgret and he was coming out of the art Institute. He had directed a bunch of music videos. He had directed one of Alice in Chains videos, stuff like that. And he was looking for a writer and we just clicked immediately. And we started, uh, coming up with ideas, but both of us were broke. We had no money. Um, finally we had made a short film. We had made a short film of the thing on the doorstep. And that got uh, that got played at a couple of places, got good reviews, and that's what we were then able to show an investor to make a feature-length version of it. I'll say this. I think our short film is the stronger of the two films. Mm. But uh, because Eric and I had worked together on getting this investor and everything, I became not just a writer but a producer. Oh. And so I am, I am on set for the entire time we're making that movie. So that was nice. But I, I guarantee you, as a writer, I would not have been allowed on set. No. They would have just been like, you know, <laughs> thank you very much. Now go away. And there were a couple of times that 
I, I would have a, an idea or a suggestion or something like that. And I remember the, the director of photography basically holding his hand up to the entire crew and saying, uh, wait, everybody, the writer has an idea. And I was, I just made me feel like such shit. I was like, oh boy. But then I was also like, I am also a producer, everybody. Let's not forget that. <laughs> Part of the reason your checks are being cashed is because I am a producer. Right. Um, so, so my involvement on the set was very limited. I deferred everything to Eric as far as directing went. And uh, just very rarely I would be asked, you know, what did you mean in this scene? All right. And it was generally because we were running out of time and how can we condense this? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's 10,000 bucks a day or whatever. We shot for 18 days. Uh, in a couple of locations, we were lucky enough to get this uh, mansion in Snohomish that ended up being like three different sets, three different <laughs> locations that we used. I mean, they just had so many rooms that we could dress them all to look like different areas. So one of the basement areas became a uh, sanitarium, and then we were lucky enough to shoot outside a real sanitarium down in Ording. Oh. And they asked us not to list them <laughs> because they were just like, look, we don't need weirdos coming here. That's we, right. You know, so it was, or more people asking. Yeah. It was an amazing experience. I will say that I learned so much on that and really it became, so I don't love the, the film that came out of it, but I loved the experience right. and, and not just the experience, but the experience that I gained from this, the the fact that I got to be on a movie set and see all the stuff, how it was being done, but also the, to then go down to the American film market to follow this to a couple of film festivals right. and see the response, you know, which was great. See, I want to do that. <laughs> yeah, that stuff is really cool. The The American film market, uh, as a filmmaker, that is so cool. Mm -hmm. You know, sitting next to... Uh, Carl Weathers at the bar and just chatting about, you know, the shitty film he's trying to sell there and the shitty film we're trying to sell there. It's it's an experience. So that's real, Carl, Carl Weathers? Oh, yeah. Did you talk about Predator or Billy Madison? I was... Uh, or Action Jackson. I was, you know, and this sounds a little weird, but I was too starstruck to say anything about that. I tried to act cool and you just chat with him. You didn't shake hands with them like this I, and then oh, call them you son of a god well you can you can see that my biceps are not exactly the same dimension I would have, if i meet carl weathers and he introduces himself like hello i'm carl weathers i'm like yes i'm dutch you son of a bitch <laughs> you pushing too many pencils that's what i would say uh, no he was uh he was very friendly and he was just a guy at the bar then where at the bar the the american film market is held in santa monica at a couple of hotels and when i was just sitting at the bar having a drink and he sat down next to me and it was like hey how you doing and he was like yeah how you doing how's things going for you nice everybody knows what they're there for right that's cool yeah i want to do that see i would be you are increasing the you move the dial to my motivation level because I want to experience stuff like that. Not necessarily <laughs> to like be to love the finished product to be able to just say, hey, yeah, you know, I shot I shot I, 
I went to this place. You know, show my movies. No, no big, no big deal. <laughs> no, saw Quentin Tarantino. The yeah, those kind of experiences <laughs> are uh, you know are tattooed on the brain, and and I do think back and go, I have had a pretty cool life. That's e- neat. even though even though you know I'm not Quentin Tarantino or anything, I've managed to do a lot of really cool things that uh, I think very few people have had the opportunity right. to do. No, so I mean it's. Like you weren't, I'm sure I have not read your stuff, but I think that what you said earlier, it was just more from a own critical, your own critical side. But if it is have it, but it has awarded you and offered you these opportunities, you're doing it. You're doing it right. Sure. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I had a, a a slight mental breakdown many years ago when uh, the economy dumped and I lost my house and lost my girlfriend, lost my dog, all of that stuff. And my sister basically um, took me out to dinner one time. She's like, "What's what's going on, Kelly?" And I, I basically I remember breaking down in tears mm-hmm. and saying, "God, I'm such a failure, and I feel like such a failure, and I, I'm embarrassed to be at the family and." Uh, at the family reunion and everybody doing well except for me and and she said what are you talking <laughs> That's about right. we uh, the rest of the family looks at you and we're like you're the only one who ever followed his dream right. and did something and it was kind of like a a light going off and and me going oh wow and they were they were all like we thought you were in love with your life right. you're the only one who's doing cool stuff hey weird i mean that that's a good thing though to be self-critical like that to look at it one of the one of the guys that i listened to for we didn't even talk about podcasts but i'm not gonna make you sit through and talk about which podcast you listen to <laughs> but uh he he says he says all these and they're mostly kids like i call kids now anyone who's less than 27 sure you're a kid <clears throat> you're a nutnik kid <laughs> they he says where do these kids get the confidence where do they get the self-confidence to be able to put themselves out there on, you know, to make these, you know, you, you know, the ridiculous videos on either YouTube or Instagram? It's like, where does this come from? This is not normal. This should not be okay. Like, we should all have that little bit of insecurity to where if I'm going to put something out, then I'm, then I'm comfortable with it. But for willy-nilly to just to to just be that way. It's like, that's not human nature. There's nothing wrong with these people. Uh, we're living in a world where there are no more internal thoughts. Mm. There's nothing that you keep to yourself anymore. I you know, know you, you, you're on Facebook and you're just like, this is Ugh. how I feel. And I'm going to type it out right now and I'm going to send it out to the world. And yeah. it's, I, I don't think it's a good thing. No, this is not. how you get a Kanye West is uh, a mother who says you can do whatever you want. And then I don't know if you're a West fan or not. I'm not. Uh, and and then you get somebody who's just a little nutty out there and doesn't understand why the rest of the world isn't bowing down to them. And it's because, you know, we've we've all encouraged everybody to say or to be whoever they want to be. And there should be a little bit of a governor on all of that. That's right. We should all be just a little insecure. Exactly. Because that makes you a humble person. So when something good happens to you, you don't come off like an asshole and say, I deserved this. No, right now, humble on social media is 
wearing a Rolex, a big old chain, but then having your hands put in the in the prayer position or, or just That's slightly, right. you know, outside of a store that you used to go to as a kid saying, you know, when I was a kid, I used to come in here and buy my $50 drink. You got to remember where you came from. <laughs> That's what it is. But now, see, yours is a picture of you outside the dollar store going, I used to buy, used my to mom hustle. used to buy these uh, penny <laughs> cars, right. and I'd sell them for five bucks a piece. <laughs> Hashtag hustling. <laughs> Hashtag grinding. <laughs> That's what it was. Oh, <laughs> uh, It's nuts. Like, right now, one of my clients is a sneaker shop, so there's, it's, uh, everyone cares about, how they look, which fine, sure, right, fine, but like I wear hot topic tees <laughs> and shorts from Old Navy. <laughs> yes, I, I showed up here. I was like, well, I want to make a good impression. I put on a, yeah. a nice shirt and everything. I walk in here. You're in your socks and Man, boxers. I was in my pajamas just an hour before. <laughs> I I was wearing polka dot socks. Ah. Hey, you didn't have to change for me, man. No, I, I, this is fancy. Look at this. It's my Freddy T. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. It was fantastic. I hope you weren't too bored. Are you kidding? I had a blast. Thank you for having me. I, here. Uh, I'm a big fan of the show. Uh, <laughs> never listened to one episode, but I'm, I'm sure <laughs> this one will be just. As You're going to be spared having your face photoshopped on my new art. It's oh, not okay. quite ready yet. Okay, perfect. Good. Thanks. <laughs> But I will have you do uh, make the the introduction and check me on the CZ Media podcast video. Oh, yeah. I'm ramping up. I'm ramping up. I stupid COVID messed everything up because I was close to getting real sponsors. I was going to get sponsored by a travel agency, like one of these travel search sites. Oh, and they were going to give me like a lot of travel vouchers, and then. Then everything shut down, and I didn't want to have guests come over. And if, I mean, I, I didn't even ask. Man. I just said I'm canceling. And I didn't want to do phone conversations. Yeah. But now that uh, we're on the path to somewhat of normalcy, it's like I got to get it going again. So yeah, I have. I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that 800,000 people dying has has derailed your <laughs> podcast, Carlos. That's hard. Well, uh, tell the people where they can find you. Uh, Strange, Strange Eons Radio is the name of our podcast, and that's Eons with an A-E-O-N-S. Strange Eons Radio. And uh, you can find me on strange-eons.com.net and all sorts of places. Just do a search for Strange Eons Radio. We'll link to it in the show notes, and we'll link to it in the social media posts. But thank you, every thank you for your time. Thank I you. so appreciate it, and you're gonna help me get the show back on track. <laughs> we we had too much to drink, didn't we? There's another bottle, <laughs> if you're down. Uh, but don't forget our sponsors, Soulmates and Rancho Bravo Tacos. You know it's fall, but that margarita is still flowing. And subscribe to us on Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Spotify, and of course, Apple Podcasts. Thank you and adios.
Get out.